making a little progress. I moved from down in front where nobody can see me to up here where most of you can see me sitting down. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Luke chapter 2. At least this is where we'll start. But keep your fingers nimble because we're going to be going to lots of places today. So I'll start by reading the uh, verses here in Luke chapter 2. And then uh, we'll pray together here. Starting in verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time gave for her to give birth. And then she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Ah, Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the blessing and gift that it is to our ears. Thank you for the blessing and gift that it is to our hearts. Thank you for the blessing and gift it is to our souls. And Lord, we pray now that as we look at what you are telling us through your word, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to hear what you need us to hear, that you would give us the eyes to see what we need to see, and that we would understand what it is you're trying to show us this morning through your word through the blessing of your Holy Spirit, opening our eyes, opening our ears, and opening our minds, hearts, and souls. And Lord, I pray that for these next several minutes as I seek to proclaim your holiness, your beauty, your glory, your salvation through the shed blood of Jesus, that I would only say those things which you want said for your people and for their good and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, (laughs) this is going to be difficult today. I'm having more struggle with the brain today than I did last week. So there'll be a lot of pauses, probably. So, David is born in Bethlehem and Bethlehem becomes connected as the place of David and the house of David. And Jesus has to be born in Bethlehem. He has to be born of the lineage and house of David. Which immediately raises the question, why? Why does Jesus have to be in the house of David? Why does it matter? It matters because that is the fulfillment of the promise. And God is faithful and just to keep his promises. And he keeps them for us 
just as he kept them to David. So to understand this keeping of the promises, we have to go all the way back to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7, and Randy's going to read that because it's kind of a long passage and it will be too much for me to try to read. So turn in your Bibles all the way back to the book of 2 Samuel. And chapter 7. And we will read together verses 1 through 17. All right, Randy, whenever you're ready. Now when the king settled into his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies on all sides, the king said to Nathan the prophet, I am dwelling in a cedar house, but the ark of God is sitting in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, because the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord, Do you intend to build a house for me in which I will dwell? I have not dwelt in a house since the day I brought the sons of Israel from Egypt unto this day. I have been moving about with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all of the sons of Israel, I have ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, I will say to my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following after the sheep, to be my ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies before you. I will make your name great, like the great ones across the land. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel. I will plant them, and they will dwell in that very place. They will be restless no longer, and the unjust will no longer oppress them, as in former times. Ever since the day in which I appointed judges over my people Israel, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. The Lord declares to you that he will instead bring about a house for you. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up after you an offspring from your body, and I will establish his rule. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish his royal throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he goes astray, I will correct him with the rod of men and affections of the sons of men. My commitment will not abandon him, as I removed it from Saul, 
whom I disposed before you, your house and domination will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established by the Lord forever. So Nathanael spoke to David in accordance with all of those words and the entirety of this vision. Yes, amen. Thank you, Randy. What a gloriously beautiful gift those words are. The richness and the fullness of the promise of God to one person, David. Unbelievable. Unbelievable that the king of glory would even take notice of David. A young shepherd boy. If you remember from 1 Samuel how he was chosen. His brothers were called in and they were looked at by Samuel, but the Lord said, nope, nope, nope. And then he, Samuel has to ask David's father, like, hey, is this it? Do you not have any more sons? We have one, but he's the little runny guy out in the field taking care of the sheep. We'll go get him. And then he comes in and the Lord speaks to Saul and says, this is my servant. This is the king. This is the one I have chosen to be king in place of Saul. And he's anointed. And thus begins a promise to David that's not even been made yet. So I want you to grasp this. God speaks this promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7, at least at a minimum 20 years after David was anointed there in his father's house in Bethlehem. But even though it's not spoken until this moment, the promise was made at his anointing. Now, I know that's hard to grasp. How can God be making a promise that he doesn't speak until 20 years later? But remember, before David, there was Abraham and the promise of one who would come from him that would be a salvation for the people. And David serves in that role as a type of savior for Israel throughout that time. And remember, if we go back to 1 Samuel, at the beginning of 1 Samuel, chapters 1 through 7, the people of Israel were immediately after the period of the judges and, and they were severely oppressed by their enemies. And they were in desperate need of a savior, a deliverer. And the individual judges never did that. Now, the other part about the judges is they served as both a type of civil and religious leader. They were there to be the, to, to lead the people. And by God's choice, it was to lead them not just in deliverance from their enemies, but also to lead them in worship of him. And as we read the book of Judges, some of them didn't do so good. Some of them did pretty bad. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just went all South Carolinian on you. <laughs> they were pretty bad. 
But the other thing about the judges is they weren't rulers over the entire nation of Israel. They were more like regional rulers of that area, the tribal region that they lived in. Samson wasn't really a leader over all of Israel. He was a leader of that southwestern portion of Israel near Michmash and all of those places. Same for Gideon, same for all the judges. And then comes Samuel. And Samuel is the first judge. If we go back to 1 Samuel chapter 7, he is the first judge of Israel, the first person who's a civil and religious leader that is for the entire nation of Israel. In fact, if we were to go back and read 1 Samuel 7, we would see that Samuel was the first multi-campus megachurch pastor. That's a joke. Okay, you were supposed to laugh at that one because he had this circuit that he would ride each year to the different cities within the nation of Israel. And he, the other thing about Samuel, of course, is that he was the first judge over Israel who truly fulfilled the religious side of, re, of leading them in worship of Yahweh. But the other thing to understand about Samuel is he was a transition figure. He was the transition from the ineffective regional judge rulers from the period of the judges into what was to become the monarchy, right? this transition. And so he's leading them in this direction as their first nationwide leader. And God is fulfilling this promise that he's made to Abraham through Samuel at this time leading towards David. The reality is that Samuel's not leading the people as a transition figure into the Saul kingship. He's really leading them into the transition of the Davidic kingship and the and the promises that are David's that were never Saul's. But at the same time, He's revealing to the people how the outward appearances are not the things that make a person a great leader and a great servant of the one true king. When we read 1 Samuel, Saul stands a full head and shoulders above everyone. He was good looking, he was rich. He was taller than everybody else. He was buff. He's everything the outward appearance says makes someone a good king. Except that his heart was not given to the Lord. And as a result, he made terrible mistakes as king. So severe at times that the Lord finally withdrew his spirit from Saul. And David is anointed king, but David has to wait. In fact, he has to wait at least 20 years to become king. And notice during that entire time, David never, never tries to start an insurrection. He never tries to usurp the throne and take it from Saul, even though David has been chosen that's his purpose that's his role that's that seat 
is David's seat. And Saul is sitting there with no good justification for being there. But yet David doesn't try to take it. He patiently waits for the Lord to give it to him. Even he recognizes right from the times in the caves, the opportunities he had multiple times to kill Saul, and he didn't do it because he he recognized the Lord must take Saul out of this throne and then give it to David. And so these are the reasons David has this great promise from the father in 2 Samuel chapter 7. His house must be great because he serves the Lord with a full heart. Most of the time there's this one little piece where he loses it. And he patiently waited for the Lord to give it to him. And David is a type of Jesus for us too. Just as David was anointed but waited his turn and didn't try to take it, so also Jesus waited until the Father gave him the kingdom instead of trying to take it from Herod, from Caesar. I mean, remember, Jesus just ain't the king of Judah. He's the king of the universe. The entire flipping globe belongs to him. He has been given the kingship of the entire earth and heaven. But he doesn't go take it. He waits for the father to give it to him. Just as David had to wait for the father to give it to him. And as Randy was reading this, there was just something that really stood out from the God's response to Nathan in his vision that night. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, verse 6, we'll just start there. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But... I, God, I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. Moving about in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel or command them, the shepherds of my people, to say, build me a house of cedar? Do you see, during this period when God was residing in the tabernacle and it moved from different spots in the nation of Israel to others, God was moving within his people, with them. He was with them and moved with them and moved within them. And then Jesus comes in the tent of his flesh and he lives and within his people and moves within them. When we read the gospels, we recognize there's literally no place that was known as the Davidic kingdom of David and Solomon that Jesus didn't go to. He went to everywhere. 
that belonged to David and Solomon's territory. And so also, just as it was in David's day, God was with the people moving about them, not fixed in a spot where they had to come to him. And that promise is extended to us today. Through the presence of his Holy Spirit, he moves with us, within us, both individually and us as a body of believers who fellowship together. I want you to grasp this, okay? This is hard to explain, and it's even harder with my challenges today. There is a synergistic addition of the Holy Spirit's presence and power when we are all together. It's the Spirit's, in some way that I cannot fully explain, that will not be a precise way to do this. When we are together, it is the sum of our spirits and his spirit in us working. But it's not just addition, it's multiplication. Sorry, I know that doesn't really work. But that's the only way I can say it to you today. And yeah, that's the only way I can say it. He is with us and he's with us. I don't like it. This is wrong. He's with us even more when we are all together. But that's not the right way to say it. Yes. Yes. That's a good word, Steve. He he is magnified by our corporate gathering together. But it's also it's not just like us all being in the same room together. It's the knitting together of our spirits and our hearts in fellowship and love with one another that makes it magnified, right? I mean, we could we could all go to another place where there were a gathering of other believers, but that sense of magnification of the Spirit isn't there because there's not the relational closeness with them that we have with each other. Does that, does that even make sense? Okay, good. Then I'm going to stop talking about it before I really stop making sense. So where was I? Oh, the promises, David's house. So the other thing that stands out in this chapter is where he describes to David that he will establish the kingdom and the offspring in verse 12. And Randy, as he read from, I'm assuming you read the New American Standard. I appreciated the way the New American Standard brought out the singular nature of that word offspring. It is not plural as in your sons. I will establish, where am I at? Verse 12. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your sons after you. No, I will raise up 
a son. We need to be careful and not overemphasize this singular personhood of a offspring. However, at the same time, much as in the promise to Abraham in Genesis, the promise is to establish offspring singular, the one who will deliver and fulfill the promise and have full reception of the promise. So also here there's the promise of the one son coming after David as ruler, which we know is Solomon. But at the same time, there's a deeper layer there of the one offspring who is the fulfillment and ultimate king promised through David and his house. And that's Jesus. Then we fast forward to the Gospel of Luke. And as I mentioned last week, the house of David was in its lowliest state. Herod was not of the house of David. And I want you to grasp this. Saul had been rejected by God and he was no longer the real king, but he was still king. Jesus is born and Herod isn't the real king, but he's still the king when Jesus is born. And Jesus' whole life, he doesn't go and usurp the throne and take what is his by his own power and will. He patiently waits for the Father to give it to him. And in a sense, he is still waiting for the Father to give it to him. Because the kingdom in its fulfillment hasn't come yet, right? And that's what we await for his second return and its consummation in everything that we read in Revelation 19 and 20 and 21. And that brings us to the next piece, which is we have to be like Jesus. We have to wait for the Father to give us the promises he's made to us. We accept and receive the ones that he's given to us now. But the ones we are waiting to be fulfilled, we have to patiently wait for it as Jesus did for him to give it to us. So what are some of these promises that we have and in some cases we're still waiting for? Well, just to make things simple, let's just look at Philippians. Let's just turn to Philippians and we'll start in Philippians chapter 1. And I'm just going to touch on a handful of promises that we have. The first one is Philippians 1 6. I'll give you a second to get there because I, I think these promises are so important that I want you to read them with your own Bibles. And then if you feel the need or feel led by the Spirit to write something in the margins or do something, I want you to do it. But verse 6, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The promise is he has started a good work in us and 
He will bring it to completion. We already possess the first part of this promise that he has began a good work in us. We are not who we were before we came to faith in Christ. We are not who we were before he matured us through the good and the bad that we've lived. And it has not been completed. It is still in progress. We have the promise that we are in him and that he has started a good work, but we await the fulfillment of his promise to complete the good work. And the challenge for us is to wait for it with patience. Now let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice the promises that he's given us. That in Christ we have encouragement, comfort, love, participation in the Spirit, both within us and without us, and what the Spirit is doing, affection and sympathy, and all of that leads to joy. And then comes these other aspects of the humility and putting others first. And we we possess some of those promises already, but we don't we don't possess them fully yet. Our practice of them is not perfect like Jesus practice of them was perfect when he was here. We have the promise, we enjoy a portion of the promise, and we await enjoying the fullness of the promise. And when I say fullness, I mean whole personhood possession. We possess it with our minds, we possess it with our hearts, we possess it in our souls by the presence of the Spirit, and we possess it in our bodies by the things we actually do with our hands and our tongues and our mouths. But we have this promise, and now we wait for it with patience. Now jump down to verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The promise there is God is at work in us, both for his will and to the work for his good pleasure. We possess that promise now in part. And as he continues to work in us, we will possess it in full. But we have to wait for it with patience. Now jump to chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but, compare and contrast, but, 
that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. The righteousness. The promise is, is that we will have the righteousness of Christ. We possess that in part, probably of all the promises I've talked about so far, this is the one we have probably possessed the most of and are the closest to its completion and fulfillment. And it's his righteousness brought and given to us by faith in him, not a righteousness that we create ourselves and found in us. A righteousness that he pours over us at the moment of faith and continues to pour over us every day until we increase in his image day after day and somehow in a way that doesn't quite make sense, we get more of his righteousness. This is the part that doesn't make sense. We have all of his righteousness, but yet as we grow in our faith and mature, we get more of his righteousness. Don't, uh, sorry, I know that doesn't make any sense, but that's the way it is, but that that's true. That is true, and that's somehow how it works. And my, you say, well, okay, like the Trinity. Trinity doesn't make sense, but it's still true. Us having all of his righteousness, but getting more of it is still true, even though it doesn't make sense. Okay, I'm going to stop there before I really stop making sense. Now jump down to verses 20 and 21 in chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Oh, glory, hallelujah. He promises us that we are citizens of heaven. We possess that promise fully and completely right this very second. And yet, we have to wait for the rest of this promise where he transforms our bodies into his glorious body and he subjects all things to himself. Now, all things are subject to his rule and authority, but his exercise of it is not complete because there are still places and persons who refuse to submit to him. And at the fulfillment of his kingdom, there will be no such thing as people who don't submit to him. There's only going to be two kinds. Those who are following in obedience with the gift of this new body and those who wished they had. That's the only two kinds of people there's going to be. And so we have this promise, but we wait for the fulfillment of it. And we have to wait for it with patience, just as David had to wait for his kingship, and just as Jesus himself waited for his kingship. Last one. I just wanted to make sure you got your money's worth this morning. So last one of these promises from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord as always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness... Let your reasonableness 
be known to everyone the lord is at hand do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and here's the promise the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus okay now i don't even have to prove to you that this is a promise we partially possess but don't fully possess because i don't think there's anybody in the room that goes through a very unpleasant and difficult experience and has the full peace of jesus the whole time as someone who was recently in the emergency room uh, two times in a row i can speak plainly and completely that i was not in perfect possession of the peace of jesus laying on that gurney okay now maybe some of you can and if you can just keep it to yourself i don't want to hear it if i had to go through this and be anxious and agitated and not have the peace of jesus i don't want you to have it either I mean, okay, right, like, oh my gosh, the filters come off, has so, you know, there's no filters left, and it just, whatever's there comes out. Okay, so like the sinful, fleshly side of me wants to make sure that you have as unpleasant of an experience as I did, right? But the Holy Spirit side of me, the part that is ruled by the Holy Spirit for the kingdom of God, that part of me wants to see you do it better than I did wants to see you exude the peace of Christ in the emergency room to those people, all the doctors, all the nurses, showing them and make, causing them to want to know how can you be lying there having this medical crisis and be so calm and peaceful? I want you to do it better than I did. I don't know how to help you do that. I honestly don't, not at this moment. The Spirit hasn't given me wisdom and insight to know how to help you be that way, to grow into that person. But that is my hope for you, that you can do it better than I did. And this is the promise, that we will have His peace because we have put all things into His hand. The way we get the peace is from following verses four, five, and six. I was not thankful in the emergency room. I mean, I was. I had moments of thankfulness, like, you know, when they gave me the clot-busting medicine and then I could speak normal and acted normal. I was really grateful for that, right? But when I'm lying there and I'm, taking what felt like 30 seconds to say Amy's name, I wasn't thankful for that. Of course, I don't know that I was really able to think that good about anything. Yeah, the sad part was my real person came out in that because I was not as mature in my faith as I should have been. I couldn't even think about being thankful in that moment. Yeah, that. 
Okay, well, whatever I said, that's the way I said it. Okay, great. Hallelujah. If it makes sense to Steve, I know I said it right. Oh, wait, sorry. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> now I'm lost. What was I doing? Peace. Oh, peace. How am I going to land this plane? Yes, Lord. What needs to be said next? We have our promises. Both our corporate promises that all of us share from the promises of Scripture. And in the case of several of us, we have individual promises the Lord has given to us. Something that he has promised to fulfill or make a reality for us or in our lives, but it has not happened yet. And so we must wait for it with patience. And the most difficult thing in all the earth, and this is what makes David's patient waiting for the throne so amazing to me. And Jesus is patient waiting for his throne so amazing to me. It's the most difficult thing in all the earth is to have that thing that was promised to you right in front of you. And all you got to do is just reach out and take it. But that's the problem. You're taking it and it's not being given to you. And David had so many opportunities to just take it. He even had people, his own men, telling him to take it. You deserve it. You've been given it. To, it's been given to you. Here it is, just take it. And David said no. And so for us also, there will be the temptation to just take it because it's right there. And we must resist that temptation and let the Lord give it to us. And then we will have the promise and it's full joy if we wait for it and let him give it to us. Oh Lord, you are so good. You are so gracious and joyous to give us your promises. And Father, we ask that you would so work in our hearts and have such a presence of the Holy Spirit in us that we would patiently wait for you to give us the promises you have made to us even to us as a church, we asked that you would work in us to have the patience and the trust in you to wait for you to give it to us because you are so good and you are so kind and you love us so much that you will give it to us at the right time. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' holy name, amen.